uh, that we're starting a new series talking about the, the one another's that we read about in Scripture. At Christ Point, we're passionate about uh, pointing people to Jesus. And we believe that one of the ways that we do that as the people of God is by experiencing authentic community. Right? We see all throughout the New Testament, there are these calls for us, for the church, uh, to move in toward uh, one another in the, in the context of authentic relationships. And we read about all of these one another's in the New Testament, loving one another and forgiving one another and, and, bearing, with and bearing with one another and uh, bearing each other's burdens. And like, there, there's this kind of full picture of what it looks like to pursue authentic community in the Christian life. And so uh, we want to spend really the next probably six to eight weeks kind of unpacking some of these ideas and thinking together about uh, what does this look like for you uh, and for me. And so this morning we want to think together about the idea of loving one another. And if there is a one takeaway for you this morning, if you're a note taker or if you're um, if you have your phones out and you're sending an email but you want to look like you're taking notes, then you can type in um, this statement because it's something I want us uh, to take away with us this morning. And it is this. Because uh, God loves the real you, uh, you can really love one another. Because God loves the real you, you can really love one another. Our text this morning is from the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can pull that out. Turn with me to John chapter uh, 13. If not, you can pull out your uh, device or you can follow along on the screen. Before I, I share with you these two verses, I want to set the stage for you. This is nearing the end of the life of Christ. Uh, he has sacrificially served his disciples uh, by washing their feet. He, he stooped down and humbly uh, loved them uh, by washing their feet. And uh, then shortly after that, right when he is done with this act, uh, he basically makes an announcement because he is troubled in his soul. He's troubled in his spirit because one of his disciples is going to betray him. And so he, he shares this news with his disciples. And you can imagine that they're asking, like, hey, who is it going to be? Right? Like, who's going to roll out? Because that would be something that you probably would want to know. Peter, who is, who is close to Jesus and reclining probably on the floor with a shoulder on the ground, uh, leans back and is like, who is it? Who's it going to be? And Jesus responds and says, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. And so uh, this scene that we're going to enter into, as you can imagine, is a weighty scene. Right? Jesus is going to go to the cross. Uh, you, you could probably feel the, the weightiness in, in the room. It is a heavy, heavy moment. And so after making that pronouncement to, to Peter, Jesus speaks these words. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And, and by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus, nearing the end of his life, says to his disciples, he looks at him and he's like, listen, the litmus test for knowing if you are a follower of me, of Jesus, if you know God, is that you would love one another. And so I just want us to think together this morning about that idea, loving one another. But before we do, 
I want us to think together about how uh, God loves you. Right? Do you know, uh, do you know that, that God loves you? When I was a little kid, I, I, my parents took me to church. I was in Sunday school class, and we sang the, the old little song, like, Jesus loves me, this I know. Have you heard this one before? Boy, so it wasn't just me. Okay, like, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible. Little ones can belong there. We can be here strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Like, I, I sang that as a kid, and I was like, I didn't really think about it. I just, just kind of sang the words. But I have to tell you, as I've, I've gotten a little older, uh, those, those words have become sweeter to me. Did you ever stop and think about that? Did you ever stop and think about the love of God? Not, not just the love of God for others, not just the love of God collectively for the world, but the love of God for you. Right? The, the holy God, the righteous God, the good God, the, the God who made you and created you and dreamed you up, he loves you you. He's crazy about you. And he's, he's crazy about um, the, the real you. Um, not just the you that puts your best foot forward on display for others to see. Oh, sure, God loves you at your so-called best. He, he, he loves the strong you, and uh, he loves the gifted you, and the talented you, and the sharp you. He loves the humble you. He loves the uh, always looking to serve others you. Uh, he loves the thoughtful you, the strong leader you. He loves you uh, at your very best. And uh, he loves you at your very worst. He loves you at your best and he loves you at your worst. He loves the sketchy past you. He loves uh, the insecure you. He loves the hot-tempered you, the loose lips you. He loves the timid you, the depressed, the discontented, the despondent, the defeated you. He loves the tempted and tried you. He loves the broken you. Uh, he loves the you that feels like you are at the end of your rope. He loves the, uh, hey, I've got some questions, you. He loves the awkward you, the confused you. He loves you. He loves all of you, the, the good and the bad and uh, the ugly. Uh, he loves you because God's love for you is not dependent upon your effort for him. You do not earn your way into his approval. Uh, he, he does not love you because you put your best foot forward and you impressed him or wooed him over. He just loves you. He's crazy about you. This is significant because this oftentimes is not how our love for one another works. Um, our love for one another oftentimes is a performance-based love. It's a meet-me-halfway love. It's, I'll come here as long as you go there. Right? It, it, as long as you are nice to me and kind to me and gracious to me, then I will be nice, kind, and gracious to you. But if you are not, <laughs> then don't expect my love. Right? And so this love of God that Scripture speaks about is very unique. It is very different from anything uh, that we had ever seen or uh, imagined. We, we typically uh, don't function uh, like 
this. Like I said, we oftentimes are performance-based. Now, now, certainly, we don't sit down with people uh, that we love and say, hey, listen, I was uh, looking at your first quarter love numbers, and uh, you leave a little to be desired. Is now a good time? Like, we, don't, we wouldn't do that, but, but the way that we function and oftentimes the way that we think, we act uh, that way. And so we are, are so desperate oftentimes with others to look or seem impressive, right? We, we want others to see us at our best because we think to ourselves, if they saw us at our worst, they wouldn't love us, right? And because of that, oftentimes uh, we, we live lives uh, hiding because we, we think if they really knew me, they, they wouldn't really love me. And the God that made us uh, really knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows us completely and perfectly, uh, and he loves us. Right? So, so God loves the real you. The real you. Not, not just you right here, looking sharp and together, but he, he loves you Tuesday night when you're short with your kids and you've had a long day. And you're not seeing eye to eye with your spouse or your friends at school or your neighbor. Um, God loves the real you. And because he loves the real you, you uh, can really love one another. Look at verse 34 again. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Love one another as God has loved you. And so then the question becomes, well, how has God loved us? If we're to love others the same way that God has loved us, how has God loved us? What does his love look like? Well, God's love is multifaceted. Um, God, God, God's love is, is, is beautiful. It's not simple. It can't be boiled down into one uh, easy word. You could probably um, think all day and night about the love of God and not exhaust um, all of the, the parts and pieces uh, of, of the love of God. It reminds me of a husband who once told his wife, sweetie, I love so many things about you. And she looked at him and smiled and said, start with A. Give me the whole alphabet. I'm listening. Like God, God's love is like that. We could go through the whole alphabet describing it and explaining it, and we'd never exhaust it. But a few things that we could say right off the bat about the love of God is that God's love is sacrificial. Jesus demonstrated that, right? He came and gave his life for us. His, his love was sacrificial. It was costly. We see that God's love was gracious. It was not earned love. It was gift love. He did not extend love to us because we earned it or deserved it. He just extended it to us because. We also see in Scripture that God's love was faithful. God has a faithful love uh, toward his kids. The Old Testament has a word, uh, hesed, that talks about God's loving kindness, his faithful love uh, toward his people. God's love is not temperamental. And so when we think about the love of God, we think about things like sacrifice and grace and faithfulness. And, and God has loved us that way, and he's called us uh, to love one another the same way. So uh, how in the world are we supposed to do that? And how are we supposed to love that way? Because again, that 
is unnatural. Like, we don't have a bent toward that. And so how can we love that way? Well, Scripture tells us, it says in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love because he has first loved us. Uh, So we love one another because God has first loved us, but he hasn't simply given, God hasn't simply given us a command and told us to go do something. He's actually equipped us and given us the ability to do it. Right, so uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says that God has given to us his spirit and his spirit has, been, has poured love into our hearts. Right, so God's given to us his Holy Spirit that equips us and enables us uh, to love one another the way that God has loved us. It's really a beautiful thing. So God loves the real you fully and completely. And because we have been set free to not have to earn anything, Uh, God, in turn, has set us free uh, to love one another without having to earn their love or their affection. And so I want us to think together about three ways that that impacts us as a church body. The fact that, that God has loved us completely, the real you, the real me, and he has called us to love one another. What does that actually look like? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that if we love this way, if we love with the love of God that he has given to us, um, that we would be a people who, like, actually love one another. <laughs> I know that's funny, but, but, like, the people, like, here, like, we would love one another. In other words, that this, this community that we are a part of um, would not be a community of cliques. It wouldn't be like the in crowd and the cool kids and everyone else. It's not the important people and the influential people and then kind of the leftovers. Um, it, it, it's not the people who are in the know or uh, are influential in decisions that are being made and then everyone else. It's not the movers and the shakers and then the leftovers. No, it is, it is all of us. Like, like, we are the body of Christ, and he has called all of us uh, to love one another. So we're not a community of, of cliques. Instead, we're a body marked by love for one another, regardless of our educational backgrounds, our income levels, our dress, our appearance, our favorite sports teams, even our political leanings, or any number of things that we would use in life to define ourselves or to define our community. We are called to be united in and by Christ, and so we're to love one another. We are to be this transcendent community that Scripture talks about, this unique community that people look at and go, wait a second, that's different. We are to function as the family of God. Like, think about your family for a second. Everyone here has a, a, like a dysfunctional family, right? Can we all agree? Teenagers, students, say amen. No, I, you're going to get grounded if you do. I was joking. No, but it's true. Like you sit down and you start thinking about your family and your, your, your history and your grandparents and your parents. And, and things just get messy sometimes, right? And you start going, oh, that, was, that relationship was dysfunctional, or, man, that didn't work out, or I don't want to talk about your uncle. <laughs> so, ooh, some other time. Like, we, we have some dysfunction in the family, and so I think because sometimes we have dysfunction in our families, that, 
that metaphor isn't as beautiful to us as it should be. But the, the metaphor in Scripture is that the body of Christ, the church, that we are a family. Like you are brothers and sisters. There's this conversation that was recorded in Mark chapter 3 when, uh, when Jesus was speaking to the crowd and his, his mother and his brothers uh, come to him. And the conversation is fascinating. It takes place in, uh, in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Um, Scripture says, and his mother, Jesus' mother, and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around, and they said to him, uh, your, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you, right? Like, your, your mother is calling, and if you know what's good for you, you go. Um, but Jesus answered them and says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Right? In other words, like our, our, our family that God has given to us, it's like the people sitting next to you. Yes, it's your family. It's the people that you hang with on a Thursday night and eat dinner with. That's, that's true. But... But, like, we're a family, too. Brothers and sisters and moms and dads. It's a beautiful family that God's given to us. And so if, if we take this command to love one another seriously like God has loved us, then we would, we would actually love the people here uh, in this church body. I see that taking place. It's quite beautiful. Secondly, if we love one another the way that God has uh, called us to love, we uh, would be a people who hope and strive uh, for racial diversity in our homes uh, and in our church uh, community. This was one of the distinctives of the early church. Um, They were a diverse people. Diverse people. Author and pastor Tim Keller uh, quotes author Larry Hurtado in his book, Uh, Why on earth did anyone become a Christian in the first three centuries? (laughs) I love the title of that book. It's a great question to ask. Why in the world did anyone become a Christian in the first uh, three centuries? And the reason that he asks that question, because in the first three centuries, and probably even longer, there wasn't a whole lot of benefit uh, for being a Christian. A life following after God was not life uh, in the South. It's not like if you were a part of the church, if you were an elder, or if you were a deacon, or if you served on the education board, you could run for political office and say, well, I've been, I've been serving at fill-in-the-blank church for 27 years, been part of the congregation there, and people would go, oh, wow, like that's, that's impressive, and you're trustworthy, and like you're, you're a church man, or you're a church woman, and like, good for you. Like, like there was a time when it didn't go down like that. Like, like saying that you were a, a Christian, like a, like a church man or a church woman. Uh, good luck. Right? It, it, it affected you from a, from a business standpoint. It affected you in that small community. When this group of people comes along and says, we're not going to worship the gods that everyone else worships, uh, people looked at the Christians and saw them as too exclusive and too narrow and a threat to social order. So Hurtado asked the question, why in the world would anyone want to become a Christian? And one of the things that he concludes is that uh, the Christian uh, community was so unique and attractive to so many. On, on one hand, it was offensive 
to some. But on the other hand, people looked at it and said, this is different. Like, we haven't had an experience like that, right? And one of the reasons why was because the New Testament church was so incredibly diverse. And it was, it was crazy diverse. And people were like, why are all of these people, like different colors, different ethnicities, coming together and worshiping together? It, it didn't make sense to them. They didn't have any explanation of why that would be. And so Hurtado argues that one of the things that, uh, that makes the church shine in uh, the midst of darkness is that we, as a people, uh, function as if, as we are, a diverse community. The, the New Testament church was a massively diverse group. You look at Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, when the Spirit comes, you, you read the list of, of the folks who are there, and it's like, holy smokes. Like people from, from all over the place had, had come together um, at, uh, at Antioch in, uh, and at Antioch in Acts chapter 13 when it lists the leadership that was uh, prevalent in the church at times. It was, it was like people from all over the place. It's like a, a United Nations meeting when you read the list and you're going, whoa, like what is taking place here that's so compelling that outsiders are looking in and going, that is unique, that's different. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 writes the church at Ephesus, and one of the reasons that he wrote the book was, was to, to remind Jews and Gentiles, two people that hated one another, that, hey, listen, you guys are on the same team. The thing that divided you, Ephesians chapter 2, the dividing wall of hostility, man, Jesus tore that apart. Like, so, so come together as a unified uh, body. We, we tend to, to run, I know this isn't true of everyone, but we, we tend uh, to run with people who are like us. We tend to run with people who we're comfortable around. We, we tend to find people who are roughly the same age, roughly the same class, roughly the same education, white collar, blue collar, whatever the case may be, and we think, I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to run with these folks because it's, it's comfortable. It's, it's easier. We don't have to tiptoe around controversy. We worry less about offending the other person. Uh, we don't have to be stretched in our thinking. It's easier. It's easier. But listen, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. You won't find it here. The, the New Testament church, the people of God are people from like all stripes, all walks of life, like coming together and doing life together. It's a a beautiful and compelling uh, church body, right? And so if we truly love one another, um, th then we should be, we should strive to be and hope to be uh, a, a diverse, a racially diverse, and an ethnically diverse church body. Because there are brothers in our sisters. No, no longer did someone look at their color or their hometown and say, that's the primary thing that defines me. That, those things didn't go away. They, they still were true. They still were there. They still were prevalent. But those things took a back seat to someone's relationship with Jesus. Right? So we as a church body should long for this. And we're not there yet. And I don't like it. It bothers me. It bothers me. And it should bother you. Like every tribe, tongue, and nation. They're going to be there. 
And so, like, I, like I have this longing and desire and passion just, like, for, for us to, to reflect our community. I just want to reflect our community. And we have a diverse community. I asked a friend a number of years ago, we were talking about this, this very thing and, and just kind of lamenting that we're not further along. And he said, James, I feel like, like one of the challenges is not just that the, the church isn't diverse. I, I feel like one of the challenges is that our homes aren't diverse. And so just the people that we're running with, like the people that we're investing in, the, the people that we're going, hey, let's, let's get together. Let's spend time together. Let's get our families together. Let, let's, let's hang out. Like, I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but just, I mean, just think about that. Like, just do a survey. I mean, who, like, who are my people? And if, and if your people are all like you, not it's just not a good thing you're missing out we're missing out we're missing out and i don't i don't want you to miss out and i don't want to miss out i I think if we love one another that that we will be a diverse uh, people we'll be a diverse uh, church body Uh, third we will be a community committed uh, to the sanctity of life will be a, commit, a community committed to the sanctity of life. This, again, was, uh, was one of the other things that Hurtado noted in his, in his book, that the, that the early church uh, had, a, had a, a, just a, a, a passion. They were committed to life. Um, and so, so we as a people, we want to value and esteem life from the womb to the tomb, giving special consideration to those who are most vulnerable. Um, the early Christian church opposed abortion, but admittedly, it was really two things. It was incredibly uh, dangerous, and it was also very rare. It still occasionally would happen, uh, but, but you don't read about it a ton. But what was more common was a practice called infant exposure. And so what would happen is un- uh, unwanted infants were literally uh, thrown into a garbage heap to be left to die. Right, And so... <clears throat> One of two things really would happen. They, they would, they would, little baby would, would die. Or secondly, uh, someone might come and, and take them and raise them to become uh, a slave or a prostitute. But the, but the church, the church of God, and they, they stepped up and they would come and they would rescue uh, these, these babies. They, they valued a human life. And so we as a people should esteem and value life, all of life, from womb to the tomb, but especially to those who are most vulnerable. And, uh, and unborn babies are the, like the dictionary definition of the most vulnerable, right? And so we want to, to love and uh, care about the things that God loves and cares about. And I assure you, he loves and cares about this. Um, this is what marked the church, among other things. But this is what marked the church. And so um, Tim Keller writes, it was because the early church didn't fit in with its surrounding culture, but rather challenged it in love that Christianity eventually had such an effect on it. Could essentially the same social project have a similar effect if it were carried out today? That's a great question. That's a great question. So what if, like what if, what if we were so overwhelmed by God's love for us that we would love one another well? What if, what if we were a church that strived and hoped to more fully reflect the racial and ethnic diversity uh, in our community? What if, what if, what if we were a people known for being committed uh, to value life from the womb to the tomb, 
but especially those who are most vulnerable. That, um, that would be a beautiful thing. And so maybe you hear that and you're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it feels massive. I, I think about these things and I almost immediately get overwhelmed by them. And so, like, practically, what are a couple things that we can just hang on to this morning that we can do? Um, the first is uh, to, to pray. Like, pray. Pray that God would break our hearts for what breaks uh, his. Uh, pray that God would open our eyes, help us to see. Help us to see um, opportunities right in front of us in our own church body, but help us to see opportunities with our neighbors and in our uh, community. Like, pray. Say, God, I want our church to look like your church. You are a global God, and so I, I want us to reflect uh, you and your passion. Pray that, that God would uh, allow you to trumpet the cause of, of the unborn, that you would uh, come alongside moms who are scared and in need, that you would extend gospel grace uh, to women who live life with a regret of a decision they made when they were young. Tell them that there is forgiveness for them. Tell them that there is gospel hope for them. But, but pray, pray that God would move and act in your heart and in your life. Secondly, listen, 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 listen. Like, listen to the people sitting next to you. Listen to their stories. Uh, listen to the things that they celebrate and the things that they struggle with. Like, ask them, like, like, tell me your story. It's one of my favorite questions in the world is to sit down with someone and say, hey, tell me your story. It backfired on me for the first time last Wednesday. Six o'clock in the morning, guys gather at Maple Street Biscuit Company, and there, there's like three guys sitting at the table. And um, I think Russ was there. I think maybe Wes was there. There was someone else that, w that was there at the time. But this guy, there, there's like 10 seats, and this guy that I had never met before, um, and he comes in, and he sits right next to me. He sits, like, right here, and he just plops down. And I'm like, well, this is kind of weird uh, because, like, I don't know who he is. And he didn't really say hello. He just sat next to me, and he was close. And, and I'm having this conversation that I'm sort of finishing up. And, but I want to be, you know, like, if he finds out I'm a pastor and I'm a big meanie, like, that goes sideways. And so, like, I don't want to be weird with him. I don't want to be like, because I, I, I had this feeling like there's three groups at Maple Street that are there sometimes at the same time. We're like the middle group, and he came and he sat next to me, and I'm thinking to myself, you're not in our group. I don't know you. You don't know me. But how, how do you tell him that? I don't want to excuse me. I know we haven't met before, but I don't think, I don't think you belong here. Wrong group. Right? That, that would not play well. And so, so I just looked over at him, and I said, hey. And he goes, hey. And I go, so tell me your story. And he goes, tell you my story? <laughs> like, like, it's 6.02 right now. And he's like, like, no, you freak. Like, I'm not going to tell you my story. Like, who are you? Someone was kind enough shortly after that, um, after a few minutes, to go like, hey, there's, I think you might, that group over there, I think you might. And he's like, he looks around, and he's like, oh, okay, so, sorry. And I'm like, hey, like, it was, it's a pleasure to meet you. You know, let me know if you want to share your story. <laughs> hey, the, the, like, it's kind of a good thing to listen uh, to people's stories. 
and just to go, hey, listen, I don't, I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what you've been through, but like, help, help me understand. I want to listen. And, and so pray, uh, listen, and then, and then move. Um, we, we are people who, who move. Uh, I, had a, I, had a friend, <laughs> I had a friend send me uh, the little statue of the thinking man, and there was the thinker and the doer, and the thinking man, you know, like the statue was like this, just thinking. And then the, the over, over on like the, the doer, it said doer, but there wasn't anyone there. There just was footprints. Because he had left. And I think there's a time and a place for, uh, for both. Um, but if all we're doing is thinking, that's not good. Like God's called us to be a people on the move. So pray that God would open your eyes and then, and then move. Move across the street. Move like to the person sitting next to you. Like just talk, talk to Billy who's over our... Uh, a team that, that sends folks out and go, hey, like, 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 let's work on this together. Let's think about this. Let's dream about this uh, together and, and move. If, like, what if God would create that here? It, it, it would be really a beautiful thing, and uh, may God uh, make it so. May God make it